Well, good morning, Woodside. How's everyone doing today? It's great to be with everyone this morning. As Pastor Rob said, my name is Scott Crosby. I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside. I work with Stephanie McGraw in our Leadership Institute and help oversee something called the Global 100, where we as a church are seeking to raise up 100 next-generation missionaries to go all over the world where the name of Jesus hasn't been proclaimed yet. I'm excited to be in God's Word together this morning as we continue in our series together. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 7, if you want to join with me there. We'll also have the verses uh, this morning behind me on the screen. Uh, But as we're in this series at Woodside, we're looking at meals that Jesus had with people and the encounters that they experienced as Jesus ate with them. Uh, Recently, my 10-month-old son, my wife and I, have begun introducing solid foods to him. And so it's been a fun journey as we offer him different fruit or vegetables or uh, meat. And the, the favorite part about it for me is when he takes that first bite of a new food, seeing his facial expression. So if it's a sweeter fruit, as he ate his strawberry for the first time, it was like a you know, that, that positive but also kind of sweet and sour look that he had. Uh, recently, we were visiting my parents in Florida, and he had for the very first time grandpa's pancakes. And let me tell you, that was his favorite so far based on the reaction. As he put grandpa's pancake in his mouth, he had this like, like excited look. Like every bite, it was like a new excited experience as he was eating these pancakes. Well, this morning we'll be together Uh, in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look at a meal that Jesus had with a Pharisee, with a religious leader, and a woman who is also in this story over this meal. And in this series, we've been looking at last week how Jesus came to eat with sinners because he's come to bring salvation to those who are sick, which is all of us. And this morning, we want to look at together our response to Jesus and the encounters that we have with him. And as we respond to Jesus, it reveals our grasp of his grace. This meal with Jesus, this encounter that these two individuals have with Jesus, show his grace and our response to it. So this morning, let's look at how our response to Jesus reveals our grasp of his grace. Join with me in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, where we see this meal unfold. And in verse 36, it says this, one of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table with Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And so the story unfolds here as Jesus is having a meal with, the Bible tells us, a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee is someone who was a part of a sect of Judaism that sought to adhere to a strict interpretation of the law of God. 
And they believed that God would liberate Israel and bring his kingdom, how? Through moral purity, through living an upstanding life of God's law. Pharisees often had a high status as influential leaders in Jesus' day. And in this case, an influential Pharisee came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, I want to have a meal with you. I want to have an encounter with you, learn more about you, commune with you over some food. And the story unfolds, this would not have been an abnormal thing. Jesus, a religious leader there with the Pharisee, a religious leader, discussing, chatting uh, over food, over a meal. But what happened next was anything but normal. Uh, the setting is shown where we're introduced to a woman who I'd like to talk about first. And this woman comes in the scene and we're introduced to her as she approaches Jesus. Now, in this time, Jesus, it says, is reclined as he's eating. Now, uh, it, this meal looks a little different than a, than a night out at Chili's. Uh, we're here seeing Jesus reclined with Simon the Pharisee. And in that day, in that time, they would uh, sit eating, oftentimes on a cushion or something that they could kind of lounge on. And it was typically in a house that was a little bit more open. So people could come and go as the meal was taking place. And so here's Jesus sitting, eating with the Pharisee, uh, with his right hand as he's consuming food, as they're talking, as they're discussing. And then enters this woman, now, there's two things the text tell us about this woman. Is one, she's from the city where Jesus is from. And second, she is a sinner. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not something that I would want my reputation to be characterized. If I came up on stage and Rob introduced me and said, here's our guest speaker this morning, Scott Crosby, a sinner. And what this tells us is that this woman had a reputation for being sinful. It doesn't tell us exactly what she was involved with. Uh, there are some guesses as to what per perhaps her profession was of how she made money, uh, living a loose lifestyle, but she was known as a sinner. Now, as the story unfolds, we see her response to Jesus. And this morning, we want to look at the response of the woman and the response of Jesus. And from the woman, we can see that grace received from Jesus results in great love for Jesus. How does this woman respond to Jesus here in this meal? The story unfolds where we see that as this woman comes to Jesus, she first, as she comes up to him, begins weeping at his feet. Her tears are falling before Jesus, and as her tears are falling, she takes her hair down in front of Jesus and begins wiping his feet with her tears. Now, culturally, in that day, for a woman to take down her hair would be a very intimate thing, something typically only done between a woman and her husband. And here's, here's this woman going to Jesus in this emotional, intimate act of love, crying and letting her hair down and worshiping Jesus. But the story goes further where this woman begins to kiss the very feet of Jesus, She's worshiping him. She's crying before him. Her hair has been let down and she's wiping his feet with her tears. And then she begins kissing his feet. And finally, as an act of worship, this woman takes uh, an alabaster jar or, or perfume bottle that's around her neck and she dumps this expensive perfume bottle as an act of worship at the feet of Jesus. 
we see this great act of love that this woman has for Jesus. Now, the text tells us a little bit later in this story that this woman was at the meal the whole time that Jesus was eating with the Pharisee, but most definitely by her response, commentators say that this woman had already seen the life and ministry of Jesus. She would have heard of this Jesus who came to cause the the sick to be healed. She would have heard of Jesus' message and his teaching and authority of bringing the kingdom of God. She would have potentially heard of the story that Jesus said or the proclamation of Jesus that he made about bringing his kingdom in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to sight at liberty those who who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We can presume that this woman had come to believe in the reality of Jesus' teaching and ministry, and now she has this response of worship to Jesus, where she pours out the alabaster jar on his feet as an act of worship in response to his grace. We see this response of Jesus' grace in the life of the woman. I want to talk a little bit about grace this morning. It's often something we hear about in church, and there's really a few ways that we can think about grace together here this morning. Um, Let me talk about a couple things that grace is not. See, grace is defined as undeserved favor. And we talk about here this woman responds to God's great grace in an act of worship because she has an understanding of what God's grace is. Let's talk about a couple things, what it is not. First is grace is not a wage. It is not something that we've earned. Um, A wage, as you know, is when you work your job, working X number of hours in the week, making X dollars an hour at the end of the week, you expect to earn that wage. That's not what grace is. Secondly, grace is not something that is Uh, It's not favor deserved, but not expected. See, sometimes we can get a little bit grace twisted where we think it's something that is deserved, but not expected. So for example, if you're approaching retirement and you've worked many years for your company and your company decides to honor you for your great work and they throw a big party for you with a cake and even give you a gift of your service at retirement. Now, it's not expected. It's not a part of your wage. It's not something that you've quote-unquote earned, but it's above and beyond. It's something that's been given but wasn't expected. That's also not what grace is. See, grace is undeserved favor. It is giving something to someone that they do not deserve. Grace is getting something that you didn't earn on your own. And what Jesus is offering this woman is his grace in this story. Jesus is offering this woman something that she didn't earn of her own. Jesus is offering this woman something that she didn't deserve in and of herself. And in this story, we see responses to God's grace. How have you looked at God's grace in your life? See, just as there's a few ways we can describe and see what grace is and not is, there's a few different ways we can respond to God's grace. The first is maybe this. In a wrong way, we can look at God and say, I've done too much. I've sinned too greatly. I've strayed too far from God. How could he forgive me? How could he love me? 
And no doubt this woman with a reputation as a sinner has this past where in her past and even in her present, she has a, not much to bring to the table to God. She has a broken past. She has something that in and of herself couldn't earn God's favor. We can, unlike this woman, look at our lives and say, I've done too much. How could God accept me? But we see this woman respond in a different way. She looks at God, she looks at Jesus here and responds with humility and confidence. It's interesting. As the story tells us, this woman uh, gives all of her perfume at the feet of Jesus. She gives this expensive act, uh, this costly thing to Jesus in a sign of worship. Now, uh, in that day and time, uh, potentially the profession that she carried, she had this perfume with her as a way to entice others. It was a scent or an aroma that was used as a part of her lifestyle to cause others to come to her. And in this act, in many ways, what this woman is doing is showing us an appropriate response to God's grace. She's saying, God, if you will give me new life, if you will give me this undeserved favor, then I will give you my life. By this woman not just dabbling a little bit of perfume at the feet of Jesus, but pouring it all out, she is saying to Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my all. Here's who I am. I'm no longer who I was, but I pour this out on you, Jesus. Uh, it's interesting. My son just recently has made a new discovery. It's kind of like every week, uh, he's almost one, he makes a new discovery. And the most recent discovery he's made is his pocket. And this is like the coolest thing to him. He's got a shirt that has a pocket in it. And so we play this little game together where I'll put a toy or something in his pocket and we play a little toy peekaboo and then he, you know, tries to do it himself and he pulls it out and holds it up like he's just won a great award and we hide it and we put it back and have fun with his pocket. But it's interesting thinking about pockets. Most of us have them on our pants, on our clothes, and Pockets constitute the things we carry with us. Uh, practically, it's maybe your cell phone, it's maybe your wallet, but also we carry things with us from our past in our lives and day-to-day experiences. We could carry negative things with us like shame or guilt. We could carry abuse or hurt or sins with us in our interactions. We carry things with us in everything we do and where we go. We carry things with us that we think will make us something. We carry things that are, in a sense, our identity or who we are. In this case, the woman didn't carry something in her pocket, but it was a necklace. This perfume was, in a sense, who she was, who she was probably known by. And you and me, in the same way, though we may not identify with the same profession or our resumes may not include, you know, sinner, we, like this woman, have something in our pockets that we carry with us. And it could be negative, like shame, or it could be an identity of who we are. It could be something like our career or our family or our finances. It's things that we think will give us ultimate acceptance and ultimate purpose. And what we see this woman do in the act of response to Jesus, who's in this meal with this Pharisee, is she empties out her pockets. She gives Jesus what she has, and though it's broken, though it's her shameful past, she says, this is what I give you, Jesus. And Jesus responds in love to her. See, grace is not just God giving you a second chance. Grace is giving you a new life. 
Grace isn't just Jesus saying to this woman, okay, now go ahead and try harder. Do better. You're up, it's up to you. You're on your own. No, Jesus gives us a ridiculous grace. It's a grace that's unearned. It's a grace that comes from the heart of God and was demonstrated through us, to us, by the life of Jesus Christ. This ridiculous grace is offered to you and it's offered to me and it was at its pinnacle demonstrated by Jesus Christ in his life. After his interaction with this woman, we know Jesus went on to live a perfect life and heal the sick and continue to teach. But ultimately, at the end of Jesus' life, he died on the cross with his arms stretched wide, taking the penalty of your sin and my sin, offering us a ridiculous grace that is your sin, your shame, whatever you're carrying this morning, whatever baggage you have, whatever sins in your past, present, and future, it was nailed to the cross. And Jesus doesn't just give us a second chance. He gives us a new life, makes us new creations. He gives us his Holy Spirit. After he died, he rose again, and he lives today. I'm so grateful, and aren't you, that Jesus offers us this ridiculous grace. Jesus on the cross didn't say, now it's up to you. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And now we have that same grace to transform our lives today. And we see this woman responding to Jesus in a way where she gave him his life. She gave him his all. But let's transition to the second character in our story here, the Pharisee. And we see from the Pharisee that grace refused from Jesus results in little love for Jesus. In verse 39 through 47, the story continues. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Remember the Pharisees believed that it was moral purity that would bring the kingdom of God? Here's Jesus completely flipping the script of what his kingdom is all about. Jesus, in verse 40, answering him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. See, the Pharisee's response to this woman's action is to judge her and also to judge Jesus. He's saying to Jesus, how are you really a prophet if you don't know who this woman is? But Jesus has something to teach Simon and us this morning in the parable that he shares with Simon. Jesus tells this parable about the two debtors and the moneylender. 
And in this parable, he says that there's two debtors and a money lender, and one owes um, 50, one owes 500 denarii, and the other owes 50. Now, the equivalent of these two money sums is essentially about a year's wage for the 500 denarii versus a month's wage for the other amount of money. And what Jesus is saying here is there's two amounts of money that are owed to a money lender. But there's a significant point in this story about the two amounts of money. It is that in verse 42, it says, they could not pay. They both have no ability to pay for this sum of money in and of themselves. They both are in a situation that they can't get out of in and of themselves. They can't get their way out here. There's two different amounts of money, one greater, one lesser, but they're both unable to pay. And as Jesus tells this story, we see um, a little something between the woman's response and Simon's response. See, Jesus says at the end, I tell you, Um, that you're right. It was the one who had the greater debt forgiven that uh, loves more. And Jesus says that that is essentially what this woman is doing here. Um, She's the one who was forgiven more, and so she's loving more. But what is not to be lost on Simon is Jesus is also saying in this story that both people are in need of a forgiveness of their debt. Both people are in need of the money lender to forgive them. It's like having a mortgage, whether your mortgage is $50,000 or $500,000. If you get to a point in your life where you can't pay that bill, if you get to a point in, that, in life where you can't pay that monthly amount of sum, then that house will no longer be yours. It become repossessed. And if you're in a house that you owe $50,000 on or $500,000 on, if you can't pay that bill, you don't get to live in that house anymore. If you can't pay that bill, if you're the one that owes $50,000 and you can't pay it, you still need someone to pay that bill. You're not at that situation, if you're going to lose your house, going to say, well, look at this person down the street with the bigger house. They're going to lose them too. Um, See, we want to look at Simon's response to this parable. And we see first that Simon responds differently to God's grace um, than the woman did. And really, the big response here is commitment. How is your commitment to the grace of God? See, the woman makes a commitment here. She pours out her perfume and says, God, I give you my life. I give you my all. But how does Simon respond? He he just invites Jesus over for dinner. Now, it's not a wrong thing for him to invite Jesus over for dinner. He could probably look at other Pharisees and say, Jesus, look, I'm the guy. I invited you over for dinner at least. Look, I had you come over to eat with me. Those other Pharisees, they don't even want anything to do with you. But what Jesus is showing us here is it's not just enough to spend time with Jesus. It's not just enough to go to church. It's not just enough to even extend our talents to Jesus and serve. It's not just enough to give our treasures to Jesus. Though those things are great, what Jesus wants from you and from me is our trust. He wants our commitment. He wants your life and my life. Now, how do we give God's, God our commitment? It requires vulnerability. Commitment has to come with vulnerability. Let's use a sports example for a minute. Any baseball fans out there? I know we got spring training coming around. Uh, I myself am an acclaimed high school JV baseball player. 
Uh, so I enjoy it. My dad uh, is actually a, a longtime baseball coach. He's in the high school hall of fame for uh, coaching. Uh, so I come from a baseball family, uh, even though I was like average at it. But when you're playing baseball, if you're the batter, as the pitcher is getting ready to deliver the pitch, as his hand is coming forward, you as a batter, what are you supposed to do? You keep your eye on the ball. And when the ball is being pitched, what are you watching for as a batter as the pitch is coming? A good hitter will look as the pitch is being delivered and they're looking at the seams of the baseball. Are they coming forward as a curveball, as a fastball? If you're in the major leagues, forkball, slider, all these other different things. But essentially, let's talk about a fastball or a curveball. If you're a batter, what you're looking at as the ball is delivered is you have a split second to make a decision. You have to make a commitment as a hitter. You have to either say, am I going to sit back and wait because it's a curveball? Or am I going to get ready to swing faster because it's a fastball? And you have to commit and become vulnerable in that moment. If you sit and don't do either, the ball will come back faster. You have to make a commitment that includes vulnerability where if you guess wrong as you thought what the seams were doing or coming to you, you're going to swing and miss. There's a vulnerability to that commitment you have to make in the swing. And here what Jesus is wondering or asking for is, Simon, where is your commitment? You're here to respond to me, and you say in your response, I suppose, I suppose it was the one who canceled the larger debt. How is your response here, Simon? You know about me, but have you given me your heart? You know things about me. You've spent time with me now, but have you given me your life? And I think there's probably a reason for Simon's response. See, there's a, a reason why Simon has responded this way, and it, it has to do with a view of God's grace and a view of Simon's sin. See, just as we said in talking about grace, that we can respond to grace and say, I've done too much, we can also look at God and his grace and say, well, I'm not that bad. I have done enough in my life that I think I'm okay on my own. And we look at God's grace and say, do I really need it? Do I need you in my life, God? We can even dabble with Christianity and come to church and um, try and do the right things, but our heart could be far from Jesus Christ if we don't vulnerably commit to him by giving him our lives, by giving him our finances, by giving him our marriages, by giving him our jobs, by giving him our relationships and saying, this is yours, Jesus, lead me. See, what probably the major sin that Simon is wrestling with here is a lack of dependence on God by being independent himself. And this is really what pride is. It's thinking that we don't need God. It's thinking that we can live this life on our own. It's thinking that if we do enough good, then maybe we will please God. It's when we're in a tough situation, thinking that we can work our way out. Friends, the point of Jesus' story is not just that the woman had a greater debt so she loved more. It's that Simon was also in debt. You and I are debtors to God because our sins separate us from a holy being. You and I are in need of something that we cannot get in and of ourselves. We need someone beyond us to rescue us. We need redemption, rescue, and a savior. And we need to commit our lives to him because that's exactly who Jesus is. Who is Jesus in this story? He's the money lender who forgave their debt. 
And this morning, that's who Jesus is for you and for me. He offers to forgive you and me of our sins, past, present, and future. And he wants us to commit to him, to give our lives to him, and to receive his grace, his unmerited favor in our lives. It's looking at Jesus and saying, I love you, Jesus. I give you my life. I heard a a story recently from author Bob Goff. And Bob Goff has written a few books, and he tells a story where he's in uh, the green room of a famous musician. And he's talking to the musicians, and they're hanging out, they're eating food before the show goes on. And he said there's a man sitting across from him in that green room. And uh, this man had these piercing eyes that said he just seemed like they were looking into his soul. And the man just sat there confidently and didn't say a word. And so uh, they're talking, they're hanging out with the band, and then the band goes on to perform. And Bob walks uh, out of the green room to where the show is getting ready to start, and people start saying hi to the guy that he's with. They start kind of reaching out to him and talking to him, and they're nudging their buddies, saying, you know, who is that? You know, they say, you know, you know who that is? And Bob's like, I don't know who this guy is. I'm just walking next to him. And uh, Bob finally turns and, and asks him his name, and it turns out it was Jim Caviezel, the actor who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. And so Bob jokes that he sat for an hour in the same room with Jesus and didn't even know he was there. And I wonder how many of us in our lives, when we think about the things that we do and the routines that we're in and the actions that we take, if we forget that we serve a living God, That here this morning, Jesus is present with us. And he is desiring to have a living encounter with you and with me and offering us a grace that transforms and for us to respond in lives that worship him with our whole being. And that leads us to our final point this morning, that our actions of love reveal a faith that saves. Verses 48 through 50, And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And when he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you, go in peace. Jesus here goes beyond what in many ways Simon was asking for. Are you even a prophet if you don't know who this woman is? Jesus is showing who he truly is. He's more than a prophet. He's the Messiah. He's God incarnate who has the ability to forgive sins. And I love that it's kind of missed in the story that as this woman is wiping Jesus' feet and Jesus is reclined and talking to Simon, at one point in the story, Jesus turns around and he looks at this woman and he tells her, your sins are forgiven. And this morning, Jesus sees you right where you're at. He knows your struggles, your faults, your failures, your sins, your victories, everything. And he sees you this morning. He's present with you and he desires us to worship him as Savior and Lord with everything that we have. Our actions of love reveal a faith that saves. I lived downtown Detroit for a couple years and one day my roommate came home with a friend. It was a guy who was living on the streets and he had invited him to church and uh, this guy had a closed head brain injury and had difficulty keeping a job. And he invited, my, my roommate invited him to church. He said, I can't go to church. Look at me. Look how I look. How I, look. I smell. I, can't, I just can't do it. And he said, well, come over to our loft. Come over to our place and, and get an outfit from us. Get some clothes. So he came over and he picked out some clothes from us and he came to church. 
He desired to come to Jesus and, you know, check out church. And it was a communion Sunday. And um, he came that morning and he went up. And at the time at this campus of Detroit, they had like fresh bread that they used for communion uh, along with the juice. And as he came up to get it, he, he broke off a little piece of bread and he left that at the table and he took the whole loaf of bread back with him. And he began eating it, and in some ways because he didn't know what he was doing, but also because he was just hungry. He was literally so hungry that he was just eating the bread. There was a woman that came up to my roommate and I after the service and said that she was a little offended by this. And I get that communion is, is sacred, and it's a gift as we reflect and remember on Jesus. But she told us that he took the bread and did it the wrong way. And not only that, there was alcohol on his breath that she could smell. And it just didn't fit in with what was going on. And I thought in that time to that woman that, you know, I know this communion looks a little different with that, but that's exactly who Jesus wants to eat with. We serve a savior of this story who today is eating with the broken and eating with those who are self-righteous and offers both of them and you and I a call to come to his table and feast at the table of grace. Have you experienced it this morning? We're going to go this morning together and worship. And as we worship, maybe you're like the woman this morning, broken. Know that as you respond to Jesus, he responds in love, no matter what you've done and where you've been. Or maybe you're here like Simon this morning, trying to depend on yourself. Stop trying to earn God's love and do it on your own and freely repent and turn to Jesus and receive his grace as a free gift. And now let's respond with that grace that's given to us to a world that desperately needs it around us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.